0: Well want you to turn now to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Now, a number of months ago, when I had the opportunity to preach, I think it was the first Sunday Northlake launched when Tom was there, we studied verses three through eight of this chapter, and this morning I want us to focus on verses nine and 10. You're likely familiar with Jonathan Edwards. He was a a uh, great theologian in America was a central figure in the Great Awakening of the 18th century, and which was a movement of God's sovereign grace that brought revival through the preaching of God's Word. But the Great Awakening was also the fruit of the prayers of God's people. Edwards understood this and wrote a book intended to stir God's people to pray for further revival. He entitled the book and. Humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of god 's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and advancement of christ 's kingdom on earth it 's quite a mouthful makes tom 's book title sound so simple. Maybe we can uh, you know really come up with something more elaborate for one of his forthcoming books but but the, the point is clear: Edwards understood that god 's people should be characterized by prayer, because prayer is a powerful means of God's work in the world and in the lives of His people. We're going to be reminded of that today. In our passage today, Paul is describing his regular practice of praying for the Colossians, and he shares with them and, and with us not only that he prays for them, but the content of his prayers on their behalf as well. I want you to consider this morning as we begin your practice of praying for others. Do you have a, a regular practice, a regular habit of praying for other believers? You know, think about your family, maybe your your spouse or your kids, your your parents, your grandparents, other extended family members, maybe those you serve with or or fellowship with here regularly at, at countryside, for our missionaries, and for the church body generally, and, and if and when you do pray for them, what do you pray about on their behalf? You know, certainly it's right that we pray for the physical needs of others, for those going through physical challenges, sickness, and surgeries, illness, and those things, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He, he knows that the, the physical realities of this life matter. But we will see a, a rich spiritual depth and focus to Paul's prayer today that I hope will spur us beyond the physical and mundane in our prayers for one another. Now, my goal this morning is not to make us all feel badly about our feeble prayer lives. You know, we could all pray more. We could all pray more faithfully and and with greater spiritual depth, but I I do hope we will be more motivated and committed to pray for one another and that we will pray differently for one another, having studied this passage together today. Colossians chapter 1, let's read together verses 9 through 12 to get the full context. Paul writes this, he says, for this reason also... Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In this text, Paul is praying that the Colossians would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord the first verse and a half in this section, verses 9 leading into verse 10, build to that purpose clause, as you see, Paul says he's praying, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the remaining verses flow out of that, there's four participles connected to that idea of our walk, that, that we are bearing fruit and increasing and strengthened and giving Thanks. So Paul's prayer is focused on them walking worthy of the Lord. Now we'll talk more about this when we get there in the text, but let me pause and make sure you don't misunderstand this idea of walking worthy. Now now when we talk about walking, Paul is not here saying, you know, how you put one foot in front of the other. It really matters that gait you have as you walk. No, walk is a is an analogy, a picture of of our life. It's a common phrase that's used throughout Scripture to speak of the way we live, our pattern, our manner of life, day after day. Live in such a way that is worthy of the Lord. Now, He's not saying you can live in a manner that makes you worthy of the Lord. Lord willing, we'll, we'll get there in our study, not, not today, but in a future date. But notice what we read in verse 12. It says, We are to be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Continuing in verse 13, it says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, Paul is crystal clear that you and I are not worthy of the Lord. We we do not stand in in relationship with Christ or, or please Christ because of ourselves. It is God who has qualified us through Christ. I love that phrase in verse 12 that God is the one who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, we, we are not focused here today on walking in a way that is worthy in the sense that we are trying to earn or merit God's favor or satisfaction. That comes only through Christ. Think about like an athlete who's trying to get a scholarship to play a sport in college. And, and while they're in high school, what do they, what do, they do? Well, they, they work on their skills and they send highlight videos to coaches and they try to keep their grades up. And, and, and they do that. Why? So someone, some team, some coach will want them. They're trying to be worthy of receiving that scholarship. That's not the idea here. Rather, if you're in Christ, you are already on the team. You're like the guy who is wearing the warm-ups around campus and going to practice for a program with a, a storied history. How do you walk worthy of that? Well, well, you live in a way that's befitting of the team you are already on. You represent it well. You know, or maybe think of a young man seeking a father's permission to marry his daughter, you know, carefully living in purity and working hard to save money and have something of a plan for his life so the dad and, and the daughter will say Yes. He's trying to become worthy. Now, the reality is if, if you're in Christ, you're already married. <laughs> live befitting that ring on your finger and the precious relationship that God has already given. You still guard your purity and work hard to provide, but it's because of the relationship, not in order to gain it. So Paul is praying that the Colossians would walk in a manner worthy of or befitting of the Lord, that they would live in a way that is is appropriate to and fitting with the Savior who died for them. But in this text, he not only prays for a worthy walk, but he really teaches us about a worthy walk as well. He helps us understand what it means and how to walk worthy of the Lord so we can pray to that end and so we can live that way. So let's begin considering the foundations of a worthy walk. The foundations of a worthy walk in verse 9 Again, Paul says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This paragraph flows out of what came before. Paul says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it. What was it that Paul, and as we see in verse verse 1, Timothy had heard of? Well, it's what he had thanked God for back in verses 3 through 8, which is the first foundation of a worthy walk. It's the work of God through the gospel. You see, Paul began expressing his prayers regarding the Colossians back in verse 3. If you look back there He said this. He said, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also. It's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who's a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. You see, Paul had heard of how the gospel was proclaimed to them, And how that message of the gospel had an impact on them because they responded to it in faith. And they were transformed through the work of the gospel such that they loved one another and they had hope. And and they were living consistent with what had been preached to them. You see, in response to this knowledge of of God's work in their lives, Paul gives thanks to God in verse 3. And in verse 9, he prays for them to walk worthy. You see, Paul understood that the first step in transformed behavior in a worthy walk is salvation. It's regeneration. It's, it's new life in Christ. A person cannot walk worthy of the Lord until he has responded to the gospel until God has so worked in their heart to draw them to Christ. We see this over in chapter 3 of Colossians, if you turn there briefly. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul transitions to really the practical outworking of, of the Christian life. And notice how he begins. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on the earth. And, and he goes on in verse 5 to describe the sinful practices that should be put off. And, and then he, he comes to the things that should be put on in verse 12 and, and how our relationship with Christ affects our, our marriage in verses 18 and 19 and our family, verse 20 and 21 and so on. But notice where this begins in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, do all these things. You see, it is impossible to live worthy of the Lord, to obey all that he has called us to, apart from that transforming work of God's grace through the gospel. Someone who is not a believer in Christ cannot walk worthy of Of him. But if you are, if you have understood the gospel and you have repented and placed your faith in Christ, God has given you new life, the eager expectation and hope is that you will. Turn over to Romans chapter 6 where we see this clearly as well. Romans chapter 6 is contrasting our life before Christ with, with the Ability that God has now given us to live as slaves of righteousness. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. See, apart from that work of God through the gospel, apart from our union with Christ, we are dead in our sin, we are slaves to sin, but now, in Christ, we are freed to live righteous lives. That's why the first foundation of a worthy walk is the work of God through the gospel in your life. Paul had seen and heard, heard of that in the Colossians, and that fueled a second foundation, which is the prayers of the saints for one another. You see, a worthy walk, though it is now possible for a believer who's been regenerated, does not automatically happen. And so Paul says, for this reason, verse 9 since the day we heard of it, the work of God through the gospel, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask these things. You know, it's interesting, did Paul hear of the work of God in their lives through the gospel and simply check them off his list and say, okay, nothing more to do here. They're saved, they're in, God has begun a work in them and the gospel is transforming their lives. I'm, I'm good, I'm moving on somewhere else. No, having heard of the work of God through the gospel, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now you understand, this is... Not literally mean that Paul never ceased to pray for them in the sense that he was praying for them 24-7, 365. This was the only thing Paul ever did. Paul did a lot of other things besides pray for the Colossians. He, he ate and he slept and he wrote letters and he preached and he made tents and he, he did all sorts of things. So he's not saying he, he literally never ceased praying for them. What he's saying is prayer was a regular and continuing pattern of his life for them. He, he did not stop praying for them. He didn't, you know, pray for them for a little while and then, ah, I'm moving on to something else. He, he didn't give up praying for them. He didn't grow weary in praying for them. He didn't move on to something else. He continued to faithfully and regularly pray on their behalf. How often we, we fail to even start praying for each other, much less continuing without ceasing But beloved, if we believe that our prayers on behalf of other believers are vital to their spiritual growth and maturity, we will be like Paul. We will pray without ceasing for other believers. Paul understood that. He understood that the prayers of the saints for one another are a vital foundation of a worthy walk. What would be the impact if each of us in this room, each of us who are part of this church, began to regularly and consistently pray for one another's spiritual growth and maturity. You know, I'm convinced that one reason we have seen God do what he has done in the lives of the believers here at Countryside is is because many do pray for one another in that way. May we not cease doing that. And if that's not a regular pattern in your life, may it soon become one. But notice what he prayed for. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here we see a third crucial foundation of a worthy walk, which is the knowledge of God's will through his word. Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. You know, one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter was to confront the the Gnostic heresy that there was some hidden or secret knowledge required for spiritual maturity. He's writing and he'll go on to explain in the letter that, that we have all we need in, in Christ and, and in what he has revealed, that there's not some secret mystical knowledge that only a select few have that is essential for our spiritual growth. But in confronting that idea of some secret hidden or deeper knowledge, Paul does nothing to minimize the importance of knowledge. He does pray that they would be filled with knowledge. This idea of being filled is, is passive, that, that they would be filled by God. You see, Paul understood that, that as sinful people, we are desperate for the work of God to reveal truth to us so that we can see it clearly and understand it rightly and embrace that truth. He prayed that they would be filled with Knowledge and with knowledge specifically here of His will, He prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, God's will is often misunderstood, and and we can easily pray for it in a way that is is misguided. You know, one of my my daughter, my third daughter, Aubrey, just graduated from high school. It's a common season of life for for high school graduates, you know, to want to know the will of God for their lives. You know, what do they typically think of when they're thinking about God's will for their life? Well, they're thinking about all the decisions that they have to make, you know, what school to go to or whether to go to school or work or what to study, where to live, who to date, what career path to pursue. You see, we often primarily think of God's will as that specific path he desires me to walk, all the details of my life. And we must somehow read the tea leaves, as it were, to discern his will, but Paul is not praying that the Colossians will be filled with the knowledge of the specific life path that God intends to take them on in some mystical way. See, when Scripture speaks of God's will, it, it does so in two primary senses. The first is that of his will of decree or his sovereign will, all that God has ordained to come to pass. And, and the second is his will of precept or his revealed will, what God desires for us and commands of us in how we live. His sovereign will we see in, in texts like Ephesians 1.11 Where it says, also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. God works all things according to his will in that sense. You and I will not miss God's sovereign will in what ways can we be filled with the knowledge of his sovereign will? I think, you know, primarily this refers to the fact that, that we are to understand and be amazed at, at the eternal plan of salvation through Christ brought to fruition in our lives. We need to understand that from eternity past, God's will has been to redeem a, a people for himself through Christ, it's Galatians 1, 3, and 4 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Or verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Amazing, the gracious gift of God, the the sovereign will of God to save sinners, to save us through Christ, to predestine us, to adopt us so that we would be rescued from our sins in Christ. We can be filled with the knowledge of his sovereign will as we understand and are amazed at that reality of God's eternal plan being worked out in our lives and in the world. Also, as we recognize his providential work and the details of our life as he brings about that plan, Paul had a, a confidence that God was so working out the details of his life according to his plan that he could rest in him. Romans 1.10, he, Paul says this, he says, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Paul wanted to go to Rome and he says, I've been, uh, been Praying that that God would allow me to come if it's his will. Paul knew if I make it, it's God's will. If I don't make it, that's God's will. And I'll find out as life unfolds in that way. We can trust God's sovereign will. And and this is likely at least part of what Paul is referring to here when he says to be filled with the knowledge of his will. But I think he's also clearly focused on the second sense scripture uses God's will, which is his revealed will. God's stated desires and commands for how we should live as revealed in his word. We see this all throughout scripture as well. Jesus refers to this in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Is he saying the ones who pick the right college? No. No saying the ones who obey the will of God that has been revealed in Scripture. Romans 2, 17 and 18, referring back to the Jews and the Old Testament says, if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. How how did the Israelites in the Old Testament know the will of God? Well, it was found in the law. God had revealed it to them. He had commanded them. Ephesians 5, verse 17 says, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 1 Thessalonians 4 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5:18, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So in what way can we be filled with the knowledge of his will? His revealed will, well, we can read and study and meditate on the Word of God, praying that God would illuminate to us so that we understand it and we embrace it and we apply it faithfully in our lives as our minds are renewed in accordance with that truth. Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, and he prays they would be filled with that knowledge in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding are obviously related to knowledge. They're related words that speak to the ability to take that knowledge and to faithfully apply it in the details of life. Proverbs speaks extensively of this connection of of knowing and then living out the truth that God has revealed, starting with the truth about God and, and our fear and respect of Him and then eagerly embracing all that He has revealed. And he says this knowledge of God's will is is in all spiritual wisdom. He's reminding us of the contrast between God's wisdom, which comes from the Spirit, and man's wisdom, the fleshly wisdom that we are so prone to embrace. You see, the reality is you and I will not arrive at godly wisdom, at the knowledge of His will on our own. It is the work of the Spirit to reveal it, to cause us to embrace it. And man's wisdom is contrary to God's will and wisdom. And we see that in such crystal clarity in so many different issues today. I mean, I think the most blatantly obvious is is regarding the gender issues of our day, where you just see the utter foolishness of man's attempt at wisdom versus what God has clearly revealed. But this is equally true in every area of our life. We are either going to embrace our own wisdom, the wisdom of man, or we will embrace the wisdom of God, God's ways. Isaiah 55, 7 through 9 puts it this way Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Loved, we need God's thoughts so that we can live God's ways. We need to understand His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But don't miss the larger context and connection here. Paul is not simply praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they can become Bible scholars. He's praying for them to be filled with the knowledge, that knowledge, so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. As our knowledge... Our understanding of God's will, both the work that he is doing through eternity to save sinners and and the revealed will, what he has called and commanded us to do, should affect our conduct. And at the same time, we will not have right conduct apart from the knowledge of his will. You cannot say, I love Jesus and I want to walk worthy of him and I'm just going to go do the best that I can. No, you've got to know God's will so that you can do the things that he calls you to do. So we've seen the foundations of a worthy walk. If you want to have a worthy walk, if you want to walk worthy of the Lord and you want to pray for others to do the same, it starts with the work of God through the gospel. You must be saved, a new creature Freed from slavery to sin, to walk in newness of life. We, it's it's built on the prayers of the saints for one another. We need to be praying for one another that we would walk worthy, and it flows from the knowledge of God's will through His Word. Secondly, let's briefly consider the focus of a worthy walk. Look at verse ten. He prays these things so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. You know, elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul writes about walking worthy of various uh, things. Verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Philippians 1.27, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We should walk worthy of the gospel, of, of the calling that God has given us, of the salvation he has given us, of God who's called us here He specifically focuses on walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, who is a a focus of this letter. The rest of this first chapter flows into a a, 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 a beautiful um, exaltation of Christ. Chapter 2 focuses on the, the fact that all wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. And the work of him on our behalf is all that we need to have a relationship with the Father. This letter is centered on Christ. And here, Paul is praying, calling us to walk worthy of him. As I've already stated, this is not saying we're seeking to live in a way that proves our worth to the Lord. Rather, we are striving to live in a manner befitting of him and what he's done. What does that look like? Well, the next phrase really defines this. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. To walk worthy of the Lord means we are focused on pleasing Christ in everything. That our chief desire and our goal in every element and aspect of our life is not to do what we want, but to do that which pleases Christ because of all that He has done for us. At its core, a worthy walk is characterized by the focus on pleasing Christ in everything, on doing what He desires, even when that contrast with ours because Christ is Lord and our lives are no longer our own so we live for his glory and obedience to his word and we seek to do that as this text says in every respect in all of life there's no areas that that we say well I'm just going to kind of keep that one for myself No, in in what we think, we we take our thoughts captive into conformity to to the Word of God in accordance with Christ. In our attitudes, we choose not to to maintain sinful attitudes that are contrary to the character of Christ. Rather, we choose to be thankful and to rejoice in all things and to trust Him. In, In what we say... No careless words uttered, but guarding our speech and using them to build up others and to give grace to others and how we relate to and interact with others. We consider them more important than ourselves and treat them with the patience and grace and kindness that God has treated us. And in what we do and don't do, we put off the sinful behavior that characterizes those who don't follow Christ and we put on righteousness consistent with his character. Yes, this is why it's so vital that we be filled with the knowledge of his will, so that we can please him. We can't please him if we don't know what he wants. You know, Maybe in your home growing up, or you know a family where, where the child was trying to please the parents, but the parents were all over the place on what they wanted for the kids at any given time, and so the child feels a frustration of not being able to please the parents. For us to please Christ, it's not a mystery of what he wants. He's not all over the place. It doesn't change from day to day. He's given us his will and his word. We just have to know it so that we can live in a manner that pleases him. When we know his will through his word and we desire and are focused above all else on being pleasing to him by obeying his will, such is a life worthy of him. You know, it's interesting to me that Paul begins this letter in, in chapter 1 thanking God for the work that's already taken place, but then praying that they will be filled with the knowledge of his will so they will walk in a manner worthy of Christ. And then he goes on in the end of chapter 1 and he, he paints this beautiful picture of who Christ is and what he's done so that we will be motivated to walk worthy of him. We'll want to live for him. And then in chapter 3, he he spends that chapter and and most of chapter 4 saying this is what it looks like to live according to his will. See, while he doesn't state it directly, in some ways I think Paul is praying that God will use even his letter to fill them with the knowledge of his will so that they will live worthy lives of obedience. You know, while none of us can do that perfectly in this life, none of us can perfectly obey Christ. What an encouragement to know that we can actually please the Lord that we love. Why don't you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, a healthy, godly church, a a model church. And he, he writes to them in verse 1. And he says, finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, he says, we've, we've written to you, you've, you've been instructed, we've taught you how to walk and please God. Notice then the, the little phrase after that just as you actually do walk. What encouragement. We, we've wrote, written to you, we've taught you how to walk and please God we've undoubtedly been praying for you too that you would be filled with the knowledge of that will and that you would walk according to those things and guess what you're actually doing it you're walking consistently with the will of God not perfectly but in a way that pleases him but then notice the end of verse four he says we we exhort you that you excel still more he says you're doing it You're walking according to His will to please Him, but excel still more in that. Continue to strive for that. You know, I hope that as you consider this prayer of Paul in a worthy life, that your heart's desire is to live that way. Say, I want to walk worthy of my Lord. I want every minute of every day every aspect of my life to be lived in a manner that is pleasing to him because I love him. Because of who he is and because of all that he has done on my behalf, I want to walk worthy. Well, such a life will only be built on the work of God through the gospel. If God has saved you and transformed you, indeed, you can live that life. If you are not living in that way at all, if you are a slave to your sin, your only hope is the work of God on your behalf through Christ and the gospel. That's where it starts for you. And it will only be built on the prayers of the saints for one another. You praying that God would do that work in yourself, you praying that God would do that work in others, and others praying for you in that way, that God would continue to work in your own heart as you are, are eager to grow that God would do that work, producing that fruit in your life, and that will come through the knowledge of God's will through his word. We must understand the will of God that he has revealed to us in the scriptures so that we can walk in a way that pleases him. So, beloved, this week, let's commit to pray for one another to this end, to pray for the specific believers in your life that you have relationship with, your own family others in this church, to pray generally. Paul had not met most of these people. Paul had not been to this church and and he'd heard of them and so he was praying more generally for them. That's okay too. Pray for this congregation. Pray for other churches you know and love, for, for other believers that this would be true of them. And let's strive together to walk worthy of the Lord this week. And Lord willing, we'll continue this study number of weeks in July as Paul continues to elaborate on a worthy walk in the following verses. So let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the amazing work that you do through Christ, through the gospel. Thank you that for many of us in this room, we can praise you for the work that we see in our lives, for the fact that you have saved us you are transforming us into the image of your son and we exalt in that and and lord we desire to walk worthy of you lord i pray that you would help us to be committed to praying for one another even as we see modeled by paul lord help us to pray for all the details of one another's life because we love and care for one another but help us to pray for the spiritual growth and maturity of one another. And, Lord, we ask that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of our Lord to please him in all respects this week. Lord, do that work for your glory. And Lord, I pray if there's those here today who are not in Christ, who have never humbled themselves to you, who have lived and are living for their own desires, not for him. I pray they would repent even this day, humble themselves before you so that they can be rescued from sin, be qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, and and then to go and live lives striving to please you and walk worthy of you. We love you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.